Hello everybody and welcome to a new edition of the Youssef Shaheen podcast. Uh, uh, I'm Jose. I'm Richard. Yes, and today we're going to begin our fourth uh, podcast. And uh, the film, the English title for the film is Saladin the Victorious. I think it's just Saladin on Netflix, mm. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's our fourth uh, Youssef uh, Shaheen film. Uh, that we've been watching, and it's uh, very unlike uh, the rest. Uh, it's an epic, it's a cinemascope epic in Technicolor, uh, and I find it uh, uh, really uh, fascinating for all kinds mm. of reasons, though I can understand why people, at Bologna particularly, friends, had, had difficulty w uh, with it. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts, Richard? Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, less so than I've enjoyed the previous three films. Felt like much less of a uh, personal film for him. Perhaps more reminiscent of comparing um, Spartacus to other Stanley Kubrick films, maybe. you know, uh -huh. uh, That's kind of what struck me. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it's very long. It's three, three hours, 15 minutes. Uh, but yeah. no, it's it's really interesting. It's got moments of brilliance, uh, quite a lot of moments yes. of brilliance actually. Uh, also, moments of slight boredom, but uh, but generally, it's really really worth seeing. Okay, I'll I'll ask you to uh, take me through those moments of brilliance. Mm. Um, I thought your analogy with Kubrick is a very good one, yeah, because it does feel like a different kind of film than we've been seeing. You know, it's not a melodrama. It's not about the working class. You know, it doesn't have all of those things that we're, we're, we're used to seeing in his films up to now anyway. On the other hand, it does have moments where you think this is truly a great director. Yeah, that kind of, mm. you know, only someone with great skill and imagination could have visualized uh, 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 you know the story in this way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, what were the moments of brilliance that you were talking about? What so, comes to mind? So, the first one that came to mind was uh, the, there's a scene where the uh, the, crus the crusade, crusaders are attacking a, a caravan of pilgrims, and yes. these this, these Muslim pilgrims are are praying on a sand dune, and you just see them from a distance, and it's just like this abstract figure, it's sort of collection of figures praying then they're attacked and you, the the attack sort of turns into just these abstract shots of you know blood pouring and then you get a white cloth and you get a red cloth and the camera swirls around you, you, know, you get the impression of what's happening but it's but it's kind of brilliantly done i, I just thought it was really effective yes. um, it's magnificent because it's mostly done through color mm. yeah it's the color red on on white that indicates the massacre. It was like yeah. Dario Argento or something, you know, the, just the <laughs> bright, bright red. So, yes. Yeah. Um, we should we should tell the story though, because mm. this it, this film is from 1963. So it was at that moment that all those huge runaway productions with people like Charlton Heston uh, 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 making films for like you know Samuel Bronston in Madrid or you know Lawrence uh, uh, um, of Arabia yeah uh, uh, films like that are being epic films are being made all over the and that's world. A, that's an, just to interrupt you that's a really interesting thing because this was being made you know, Shaheen was making this film 
at around the same time as, as Omar Sharif was making Lawrence of Arabia. Um, That's right. So uh, you're kind of thinking in, in a parallel world, we might have got Omar Sharif playing Saladin if he hadn't been otherwise engaged. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, though I very much liked Ahmed Mazar, mm, mm. who plays uh, Saladin. Uh, uh, so, so we should tell the story. I mean, the story really is the story of Richard the Lionheart in some ways uh, and his attempt um, to lead the crusade to take over Jerusalem from the Muslims. Now, the film obviously changes the point of view so that what you see is actually uh, a Saladin saving Jerusalem. Well, more than that, actually. Uniting all the disparate Arab fiefdoms into a united defense of Jerusalem uh, against European forces. And I actually, I think that's an important, that the film makes an important distinction. It goes out of its way to be inclusive to Christians. Yeah, Christians mm. are part of the Arab world. It's very, yes, very Arab... clear. That point's made repeatedly that, that, that some of the yes. Arabs are Christians. Yeah. That's right. Right. So, so, so the film, unlike uh, a lot of, you know, uh, uh, European and American films that deal with this subject matter. It's not structured as a Christian versus Arab uh, versus Muslim mm. argument. It's not. It's not just about religion. Uh, it's it's very much a European Arab conflict rather than a Christian Muslim one. Yeah, but I was I, I was thinking about this because one of the things I've heard about the film is, is that. You know the difference in this film is it's much more. You know, Saladin is the is the is the is the hero rather than Richard the Lionheart, and it's an, uh, you know, unlike Western films. And and actually, I I I don't think that's necessarily true. That Saladin is is the villain and whatever in the, in Western versions of this story. Uh, certainly, in, so I for instance, um, and I, I've never seen this film, so this may be wrong. But uh, the Demille film. Um, from 1934, I uh, hang on. I, I found a New York Times review from the time. Uh, yeah, it, it is Saladin, in fact, who emerges as, as the real hero of the photo play in the courtly performance of Ian Keith. His suave and generous behaviour to the Christians is in startling contrast to the lumberjack whoopings of Richard and the chicanery of the Allied chieftains. So, I, it's, there are similarities with this film. Yeah, exa exactly. And I, I also watched a uh, this bit of preparatory research, um, <laughs> a 1965 uh, episode of Doctor Who set in the Crusades, and similarly that was pretty even-handed. Uh, that you know, they both Saladin and Richard were presented as sort of men of integrity and honour, who were in largely sort of misled by uh, by their underlings, and which again is what happens in, in 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 this film, certainly as far as Richard is concerned. So, so I think it, it's not you know, I, I don't think, and I, I, I may be wrong, I don't think there are particularly mainstream Western versions of this story certainly films and TV series, that present it as a good thing that the Crusaders did what they did. I, I, uh, and that there aren't any that oh, simplistically I, treat Saladin okay. as a villain. Well, maybe, I may be wrong. Maybe wrong. I, I, I haven't done your research, but I have certainly read a lot of history. Mm. Uh, and all the historical accounts, you know, point to it as a kind of a battle for Christendom. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, historical accounts, yeah. But I, th but I think the way it's presented in 
in uh, in drama, you know, film and TV, is is different. I maybe. I I I I reserve judgment. <laughs> yeah, uh, there are certainly dozens and dozens of films uh, about Richard the Lionheart. Uh, so you know, and and um, my memory's so bad that you know I can't actually name any of them. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know. I have seen a lot of them. Uh, it's perhaps telling that you don't get very much of a Muslim point of view on any of them. Yeah. I think the battle is always posited as the Christians being the good guys uh, and, you know, the, the Arabs being, you know, nameless cannon fodder on the whole. I mean, I don't even remember Sal Saladin making an appearance in most of them, to be honest. It's just, you know... I don't know. There's, there's a... So the... The DeMille one he does, there's a 50s one with uh, Rex Harrison as, as, as Saladin. Um, so I, I, I don't know, it'd be interesting to, 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 to research this more. Um, yes. The, the other, the uh, other, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Well, sorry. I was just going to say, the, the other thing that, that I found fascinating about this film is the casting. Because in all those uh -huh. American or British versions, you, you get the Arab characters are mostly played by, uh, by, West, by white European or American actors who are blacked up. In this, all of the European characters are played by Egyptian actors who are, um, who I think have been kind of whitened with makeup and are all wearing pretty ludicrous wigs in most cases. All, 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 yeah. all the men have these. So what, are you, what do European men look like? Okay, they all have red hair. So they, they all have yeah. like, these, these crazy red wigs. Um, but that, but I found that, that, that interesting and I'm not, you know, Defending the practice of blacking up, uh, although clearly it was common at the time, but it's interesting that that, that same, essentially that same casting approach was being used uh, in, in in the other direction, because the yes. the guy that plays Richard uh, was in Dark Waters. No, sorry, The Blazing Sun. Um, yes. So. Um, anyway, there's lots of films uh, uh, about King Richard, and he appears in lots of others, like. The Lion in Winter, I see well, uh, here the one you're referring to is King Richard and the Crusaders, mm. uh, directed by David Butler with Rex Harrison, uh, George Sanders and Lawrence Harvey. My God, that's a film to watch. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I, I think the thing is, a, a, lot, a lot of these films, because I, I did have a look yesterday, a lot, of, a lot of the films where Richard features are actually, they're kind of, you know, like the Robin Hood type story. It, it's, it's the perspective of what's going on in England at the time. Um, yes, and exactly. Richard comes home from the Crusades. Uh, I mean, the, uh, say the Doctor Who one, which is you know, it's mainstream dr kids drama, it was explicitly said this is a pointless war and, and th this is not going to achieve anything. Pretty similarly to the ending of, 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 of the Chaheen film. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd say I, I haven't seen... I, I'm being like those people who wrote bad Wikipedia entries about the other Chaheen films because I haven't watched any of these films about the Crusades. Um, I'm 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 more interested in a way in other things because one of the things that might uh, change certainly enhance my appreciation of Shaheen films is that finally this morning I got two books in the mail mm. about uh, Shaheen's films. One of them is a truly wonderful one by Malik Khoury called The Arab National Project in Youssef Shaheen's Cinema, mm -hmm. uh, and there's a whole section. On this film actually which is really interesting because uh, um, according to um, Malek Khoury uh, this film was done very deliberately 
uh, as a counterpoint to uh, Western cinema, i.e. to show mm. that epic cinema could be done in the Arab world uh, for relatively little money. It ostensibly cost £170,000. Um, but it's also tied in with the whole politics of the time uh, and uh, Nasser's attempts to create a united Arab Republic. So, i.e. the themes of the film which took, is to create an Arab front yeah, against kind of uh, Western invasion is very much the project of the film. Mm. And what I, what I learned from it is that, you know, it is indeed a very personal film for Youssef Shaheen. So there's a quote uh, uh, in the book where he says, we need to be cognizant of our Arab national identity. Na Nasser realized that and reminded us that being Arab is what unites us. Single Arab states will always face major problems, but a united Arab nation represents a major power. The West continues to ferment divisions amongst us by exerting more control. Unfortunately, we as Arabs continue to fall into the trap of narrow single-state chauvinism. Sadat tried to drum up Egyptian chauvinism. I never felt as humiliated as much as I did under the Sadat regime. Nasser used to say to us, lift up your head, my brother. Uh, this is why I consider myself to be an Egyptian, an Arabist, and a humanist uh, all at once. And if you can just bear with me, he's got a word about Saladin, yeah? or Saladin. Uh, so in Saladin, I was not hesitant in telling Christians they were wrong in coming over to occupy our land. I myself, a Christian, have lived in the heart of Muslim culture where 90% of the people whom I loved were Muslims. From the times of Andalusia to today's Alexandria, the idea of diversity within a predominantly Muslim culture has been much more integrated than it has ever been within mostly Christian societies. These are not just words. This is exactly how I feel. Yeah, and I thought that was mm. really, really yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> you know, so I hope I didn't read it too boring. <laughs> but actually, you know, there is something... I mean, this is the heart of the film. This yeah. is what the film is about, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. and and it's very much of its historical moment. And I also learned in the book that it's one of those epic films. You know, I don't know what, it, uh, um, you know, I think something like Zulu would be an equivalent in Britain. Yeah, that it kind of appears over and over and over on television. Yeah, and it's one of yeah. those films that like everyone in the culture yeah. knows and remembers having grown up with and. Yeah, can yeah can can quote yeah. from it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's one of those films that creates a particular kind of cultural identification. Yeah, yeah. There's a there was a really interesting article which I I, I sent you as well by the uh, on a blog from 2014, uh, the Armchair Arabist blog, which is a, a guy called Matt Schumann, who's a uh, at that point was a student of Arabic and Islam in at Princeton, and he, he it's very interesting. He talks about some of these issues around nation building, and also he talks about the the way the film uses uh, language, because uh, the yes. dialogue was, but it was part written by uh, by Nagwib Mahfouz, who's a, a Nobel Prize winner, but he won the Nobel Prize in the eighties. Uh, says the script is written in what could be called theatrical Arabic, um, kind of simplified standard Arabic, which is spoken here is spoken with the inflection of Egyptian dialect. It was popularized popularized by Egyptian playwrights in the early 20th, early twentieth century. Uh, to create sophisticated literary art that reflected daily life. So yeah, I, it, it's and obviously we miss that that nicety because we're we're, we're uh, uh, you know reliant we're reliant on the subtitles and we should for people who are confused by this blog. Incidentally, we should thank 
the pe- good people at Netflix for mending the subtitles in this film so we could actually watch it. Um, yeah. Because when we looked the other day, the subtitles were out of sync, and whether this is purely down to the power of the Yusuf Shaheen podcast complaining, uh, but anyway, the, de- the next day it, it fixed, so we, we have the power. <laughs> yes. I, uh, I mean, th- I think this is, uh, you know, such an interesting film because certainly my experience when we saw it in Bologna is that very um, not knowledgeable people <laughs> with a certain position uh, were, were very dismissive of it, mm. yeah? Uh, and and uh, you sent me a timeout uh, yeah. review. Yeah. Which is so incredibly arrogant, yeah? So if one of the jobs of criticism is to open up uh, a work uh, for readers, that does the opposite. It kind of, you know, uh, 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 shuts everything down. Yeah, I, there's even, I would yeah. be fascinated to, and I'm not going to quote from that review because I just found it so offensive, but I, I'd, be, I'd be interested to know when it was actually written because he uses some terms that, uh, or a, a particular term that I think is not intended to mean the way we would, we would read it now, but it, it's still there on the Timeout's website and it's really, really, really bad. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I mean, I, I didn't see it in Bologna, so I, my experience was watching it on Netflix rather than watching it in the cinema. And actually, because I know, I, I, you know, if someone says to me, do you want to watch this three and a half hour long 1963 Egyptian <laughs> film? Um, my answer may well be no, but I, but I, I, it actually the experience of watching it on Netflix is like watching a box set because it, it, it's yes. like Game of yeah, it's, it's not like Game of Thrones, but it's like it's like watching three episodes of Game of Thrones. And actually, the, there's I found um, about an hour, about every hour, there was kind of a cliffhanger. So uh-huh. the first hour of the film culminates in um, was it Renault um, being captured and, and killed and then you then switch you, you then meet richard the lineheart for the first time an hour into the film so that's kind of like episode two and then yes. you then you get another kind of cliffhanger where the uh the emissaries are killed and and, and there's, there's an amazing scene with the bloody cross and that that kind of feels like the end of another phase of the film and i want i do want to give them the length of it if it was shown with um with intervals in, okay. in cinemas originally, I don't, I don't know, but but it, but basically, if you are put off by watching a three and a half hour film, actually, if you treat it that way, it works. It works absolutely fine. Yes, I, I mean, I found it really impressive because the narrative moves so well. There are so many subplots, and they're all kind of intriguing ones, right? And actually, for large chunks of the film, it feels that the protagonists of the film are not really the protagonists. The film is really not about Saladin or Richard the Lionheart, right? But it's about Louisa and Isa, right? Or it's about the evil Virginia who wants to recapture, you know, Jerusalem, right? So it's got a lot of subplots like... Uh, uh, Game of Thrones or, or, yeah. or a miniseries. Right? And it, interestingly, the, 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 the DeMille film also, the whole crusade was the fault of a woman. <laughs> so yeah. there, there, there was some, uh, a woman who had a, who was torn between Saladin and Richard and that's what that's what caused the whole thing. And so it's, it's interesting yes. that these plots are introduced. That's, that felt odd to me that the um, that there were, you know, in certain points there were, like, women, there were women leading troops into battle. And whether that that would was have, wonderful. Yeah, but would that really have been the case? I don't. I don't. 
I'm not, not sure, but but think of it how extraordinary, and maybe I'm speaking my prejudices here, but how extraordinary it is to see it in, uh, you know, an Arab film, an Egyptian mm. film, where, you know, the last three films that we've seen at least take, you know, male uh, 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 superiority or patriarchal values or men having the right to decide everything in a way that seems so alien to us so forcefully. Yeah. And yet you have this contradiction where in this culture that seems so macho and patriarchal, you're nonetheless are getting these representations of these extraordinarily powerful women. And they're not all evil, right? Because the first time that we see Louisa, you know, kind of we see her taking a bath, but, you know, in two seconds later, she's put an arrow, yeah, <laughs> through uh, her aggressor's heart uh, or shoulder. Yeah, yeah so, she's, flo she's mean, flirting, are... so it's just in his arm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are kind of very strong yeah. warrior women, you know, in a film that's ostensibly, you know, about Saladin, right? It is kind of quite extraordinary to see. I mean, there was an instance in the film where they're in a Christian camp and there is a dancing woman who actually reminded me very much of the female lead of Cairo Station. Mm. And I have yet to look to see whether it is the same woman. You know, she, was de she definitely looks very much like her. Uh, and she does this dance, right, where, you know, she's trying to get information. So she dances around the camp trying to, you know, uh, uh, get the information that she can to then sell for money. Mm. Uh, and again, it's, it's, it's extraordinarily sexually suggestive, you know, but again, you know, it's a woman who's got control over her world, her actions, her body, right? Yeah. Like, it, yeah. it, it feels quite extraordinary to see... Yeah. You know, in any film of this period, much less one where you expect a more uh, uh, submissive uh, representation, i.e., you know, uh, one in which women have a, an even more inferior structural role uh, than they do in, in Western culture, or the, at least that's my understanding. I could, I could be wrong. Yeah, that's yeah. I think that's what we've been seeing in these films. Yeah. yeah. So... Um, now, you mentioned at the beginning that there were certain moments that you thought was brilliant, and you mentioned the one of, you know, that incredible, almost Eisensteinian montage mm. of the, 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 the uh, uh, pilgrims being killed and all of it being suggested by, you know, the color red on white robes. Mm. Uh, what other moments? So the, 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 there's a, a sword fight um, where with Renault and um, one, of the, one of the Arab characters, and it's kind of filmed mostly filmed from overhead on this huge set yes. but with really unusual angles on the on on on, on the action the remote i mean it uses the widescreen frame really well and, and i mean it's kind of in the same way as as, as, as sergio leone or whatever where there'll, be, there'll be scenes where you know you've got the characters in the foreground and then there's there's action going off far away but there's one point i noticed there's there's a scene going on in the foreground and you know, so you've got two characters in the foreground and then there's a plane of action kind of behind that and then even further away there's something else going on and, and, it, and it appears to be all for real it doesn't doesn't appear to be back projection um, yes it's but yeah, yeah that is superb that reminded me very much of the way that Otto Preminger mm. uh, deals with widescreen I mean there you know there are wonderful moments in River of No Return where you have Marilyn feeding the child 
in the front of a cabin in the foreground, right? Yeah. And you're already seeing hordes of, you know, galloping Indians, <laughs> yeah, kind of coming through the horizon and over the yeah. hills. And, yeah. Yeah, and she doesn't yet know they're in danger. There are moments in this film that are exactly like that, that, you know, the cinemascope frame has different layers of action kind yeah. of spread through the frame. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really skilled. Yeah, uh, and, and really the, effective. And there's another bit I noticed where it, it's, it's again about an hour in, where they're um, where 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 we're back in England and Richard is meeting his council of war, uh, sitting around the round table. At that point, I wondered, but they got their got their kings mixed up. But they they sit around they they sit around the round table and and uh, all kind of it's, it's an overhead shot and they all kind of join their swords in the middle. It's a bit like Busby Berkeley kind of thing. Um, but that, that, things like that was just really, really interestingly shot. The other thing I noticed was that the um, in the opening credits, it mentions that the film was processed at Denham Studios in the UK. So oh, um, I didn't notice yeah. that. So presumably they didn't have, I get, which I assume is because they didn't have the facilities in Egypt to actually, uh, you know, process a cinemascope, technical or whatever was was print so you know if that's the case you wonder how many um i think it was ultrascope was the process that was used but you kind of wonder how how many of those films had been made in, in egypt at that point but it's given if the facilities weren't available in egypt it's even more impressive that he used that frame so well i mean i don't obviously we there's been a big gap between the so cairo station was 58 wasn't it so we're, we're now five years later so I don't know how many films he made in between, and whether those were widescreen or um, yeah, I don't know. But it, but uh, but yeah, I, I found that I found that quite interesting that the, the, the you know, just the the idea that this that the the actual prints were produced just outside London. Uh, it's, yeah. it's really interesting. I mean, there are moments of extraordinary uh, beauty and extraordinary imagination. Mm. So some of it, which it seems uh, very theatrical, so you know the moment. Near the end, where uh, you know the cinemascope frame is used so that uh, Saladin is on the left and Richard the Lionheart is on the right, and they're each talking to their own court. Mm. Yeah, but in a way that the dialogue seamlessly creates a narrative through each of those spaces, and you're seeing it simultaneously. And yet, you know, when the action moves from you know, one court to another, which are meant to be in different geographical spaces, you have the lights turning off on one side of the screen. It's incredibly theatrical, yeah, yeah. right? But incredibly effective. Absolutely, that was and really, all, really and clever, that bit. I mean, it looked, I mean, it looked like yes. a, a stage set or something, but it was really, really well, well done. It looked like a stage set, but it's also incredibly effective use of the cinematographic mm. frame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, which is done kind of through theatrical devices, but that kind of, you know, nonetheless seems incredibly imaginative cinematically because it finds new ways to use that space with dramatic and emotional resonance. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Kind of, I thought that was incredible. Yeah. Which you almost wonder whether it's, yeah, because he, no one has, no one has told him how you're supposed to use a cinemascope frame. So he just, but he would have seen lots of films. I mean, you know, again, I've been reading, uh, uh, you know, little bits and bobs about Shaheen. And one of the things is he was a, a total 
cinephile mm. to the point that he started his own cinema in Cairo, right? So he ran, a, so whilst he was directing all of these films, he also ran a cinema because he wanted a space to be able to see, yeah, things that mm. would otherwise not get to okay. Egypt. So I, I imagine things like Ozu and Rossellini mm. yeah, and Buñuel, right? So he ran a cinema. So I'm sure, you know, that uh, the, the cinemascope frame would not have been a strange no, thing. Not a strange thing to him, but, but yeah, you're right. But, and actually, uh, thinking about it, a lot of early cinemascope films kind of do use the, do use the screen in unusual ways. I'm thinking of things like O. Rosalinda, the Powell film and stuff like that, that, that just you use it as a split screen thing. Um, mm. But yeah, no, I'd, I'd really, yeah, I, re I, re I really enjoyed the film. I mean, it, it had... Um, as as with most three and a half hour long films, it could have been about an hour shorter, but um, it's. I, but I don't know which hour I would have removed. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I think there were moments that kind of all, took me by surprise. So you know, the moment in Jerusalem when where they all begin to sing, "Oh come on!" Oh, that musical. was brilliant. I loved that. I thought that I found that so moving. Yeah. It, right, and kind of it caught me unaware yeah. because. This is not a film I expected to be moved and by. I, I sort of, and it's, it, it was so unexpected that that started happening because you're, you're sort of, the, the, that music started and it kind of blended into the soundtrack and then you suddenly realise what they're singing. And, and yeah. it's, it's like, the, it's like the, um, uh, the World War I Christmas truce thing because I guess it's because it, it, start, it then starts snowing. Uh, at yeah. the time, and so it's like, oh, perhaps it's supposed to be Christmas, and it, it, it's, um, yeah, it was just a re really nice scene, and that's kind of what, you know, this sort of brings about the re reconciliation at the end, um, yeah. but yeah. No. So, uh, false now, because this is a film that has some, and that also, I think, makes me aware of patterns, or, you know, certain things that Shaheen has so far not done well in any of the films of his that I've seen. But before I get on to mine, is there anything that you found? <coughs> I, I mean, it's, it's, there, there, there are certain sequences where the, uh, you know, the effects are very primitive. The, the, the yeah, the battle scenes and so on. You, you can see the join, you can see what, but, but in a way that's kind of quite, nice that you it, it, it's very yeah it, it, you know, a, a big budget european or american film would not let you see how they've done some of these stunts but i kind of quite liked being able to see how they've done some of those stunts there was a very dodgy bit of back projection at one point but only, but only at one point mm -hmm. i think for me to be honest the and it, it's the same fault i would have in the um the opposite direction with a, a european or american film featuring black up actors that the the, uh, some of the actors playing Europeans um, were their performances. I think were impaired by the fact that they were wearing this stupid makeup and wigs, and they were kind of. It. it I mean, it is what it is. Um, <laughs> but I. I, I uh, the, the 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 foot is on the other shoe. Well, no, I mean, I just say, I would have the same. Or the shoe yeah, is on the other. I, have, I, have, I have the same view of uh, of it being in the, in the other direction. And I, I, I actually, I, I, I was genuinely fascinated by that because I don't think I've, I don't think I've seen a, um, you know, an, an African film where it's a serious film and they're using 
um, they're, 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 they've whited up people. And I, you know, I, I've, they're using white. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I find it. I, I actually found it genuinely interesting that that was happening in the other direction, and, and um, it, you know, uh, but yeah, I mean, what alternatives did they have? I mean, they, yeah, they could have imported, I don't know, some kind of B-list, um, <laughs> uh, you know, get George Sanders in or something. But, uh, do, you, do you fancy a few weeks in Egypt, George? I'm sure he'd have been up for it if, if he wasn't dead by that point. But um, Frederick, Frederick March no, I, or somebody, I, I, don't uh, I don't know. But. Uh, <laughs> For me, my problem with him so far is that I have yet to see him uh, do a good action sequence. <laughs> yeah. he, he doesn't know how to film... Well, actually, that's not true. He knows how to film action when it's on horses or it's masses of armies or whatever. But actually, a simple fist fight or a simple sword fight or things like that, he's not handling very well at all. And you can't attribute it to poverty because, you know, there are dozens of B films done on a shoestring budget where actually, you know, the things that they do that are good are the fight sequences because all you need is the actors and it's a timing and it's a, a question of joining up the shots properly, right? Like, you know, uh, it doesn't... Yeah, I mean, I think it's just amazing that such a simple thing he screws it up over and over yeah again. i mean there isn't a good there isn't a good well, scene in the whole movie. the only one that is good is the one with the attack on the pilgrims and the reason it's good is he doesn't actually show it you know he yeah. he, he he sort of um you know just cuts away and just shows bits of cloth but he's like i mean what you know what well, he's like he's like these brilliant renaissance artists that can't draw hands. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, the, that may well like, be the case. Know, Renaissance yeah. artists that just can't convincingly draw, paint a baby. I mean, it, it, it's it just happens. But but you're you're, you're right. Yeah. It, it is interesting, and I, and I I wonder why that is. Or, I, I mean, possibly part of that part of that is filming, but part of that is acting, and part part of that is the actors being yes. able to convincingly. No, I wouldn't blame. No, I I you can't blame the actors. Uh, it really is about the direction and the mm. editing, yeah? And obviously the director directing the editing, you know, because often it just has to do with, like, making a cut two or three seconds sooner mm. so that you don't see the hand whiz by a face, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you see the hand is a mile from the face and the actor goes, ah! <laughs> I mean, yeah, you yeah, know. <laughs> yeah. You know, those are simple things to, to fix. So, I, you know, I wonder if perhaps it didn't matter that there was a level of acceptance about those things where they didn't want to waste too much time and money getting it right, you know, because the audience accepted it or took it a different way. I'm not sure about that. But actually, it's something that... It's not that it's beginning to great, because I, in fact, don't mind it, actually. That's the weird thing. I, I don't mind it. But you just notice how poorly done it yeah, is. Yeah, there was a really... Right? I'm, I'm just going to try and find the... Uh, a really nice quote about Shaheen that I saw on Twitter. Okay, well, while you do that, <laughs> let me read you a quote uh, from uh, this, this wonderful book that I'm reading. So, uh, in a contemporary assessment of the overwhelmingly popular success of the film, 
A local newspaper described how Saladin played to full houses in almost every large theater in Cairo and Alexandria for weeks in order to allow people to watch it along with their entire families. And then the critic goes on to say, this is a film which makes us all feel proud, and it is a miracle indeed that it was made in the first place. What is also significant is the film's avoidance of using an overbearing propagandist approach to glorify its Arab characters, and its dodging of any sloganeering on how ideal Arab history and traditions were before. So I thought that was great, yeah, that it's a film Mm. that made contemporary audiences feel proud because it wasn't jingoist. Yeah, absolutely. And see, you know, see, seeing a you know a big budget or, or, or you know, an epic film that reflects your 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 country and your culture, as opposed to the the, yeah, the, the, the sort of Western view of it, uh, must have been great. I, I, found, I found this quote. This is from uh, a Twitter user called Genius Bastard, um, who po- points out the Chahin films on Netflix and says Chahin is interesting. There's a goofball energy to his work that's endearing. He also appears to have been queer and sub- subtly ex- expressed it in his work, despite Egypt being less than hospitable. He was deeply troubled by the rise of Islamic fundamentalism. But yeah, I think the, the, this quote about the goofball energy possibly f- fits in with your comments about the terrible fight scenes. Um. Yes. But also, I want to I wanna linger on that quote, mm. uh, you know, about the queer thing. Because, you know, even in films like this, it is evident and it's evident in little bits and flashes and sideways things. So, for example, there's a moment in the film where Louisa is nursing the wounded, you know, and again, you have like this absolutely gorgeous, fit, you know, blonde god, you know, splayed out over the cinemascope screen, yeah, with like, you know, this incredibly beautiful body. And he, does, right? he, like and he angle, lingers like, on that. Quite a long and he time. lingers yeah. on that. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the film in those moments, kinds of you know, speaks a kind of a desire that was certainly forbidden then and and possibly now, but that is there for those who want to look and to recognize it mm. and see it. Yeah, yeah. All right, Richard. Well, any last thing that you want to? Add? Uh, well, I just think. Well, I say. I, 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 I think this is not quite up there with the first three films, but it's a great film. It, don't be put off by the running time. You can, you know, you, 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 there, there are good points for a break for a cup of tea throughout the film. And uh, yeah, go for it. It's great. Okay. And we'll be back with the land. Wonderful. So, <laughs> yes. so we will. Uh, so, so one of the things that I wanted to mention about our podcast is that, you know, as you can probably tell, we're not experts on Shaheen. Yeah, we are discovering, we're finding out about Shaheen uh, as we go through the films. Yeah, Uh, but I would urge you to listen to uh, some of our earlier ones and certainly to look at the blog posts because as time passes, you know, uh, we keep adding more and more to them. So whatever we find, we will kind of uh, put in By film 12, we're going to know what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. Well, and you and you can discover it along yeah. with us. Uh, so one of the things that I've added recently is just the films that were shown at Bologna. They actually all have a plot summary okay. of them and a description. So if you look in the blog, kind of there will now be pictures of you know the Bologna catalog that deals with those films, and we will keep adding 
things to them yeah. as we and find most them. importantly, I think I must point out that people should go back and have a look at the Cairo Station blog for the exciting information about Mike and his skyrockets that we found the other day, because there's some really, there's some great yes. stuff there. Which, <laughs> well, which I added yeah. all of that yeah. in, I think, yeah. So, so I think, uh, you know, it's incredibly entertaining, and hopefully, as, you know, as we go on, we will keep adding things, not only to the latest podcast that we do, but also kind of some of the earlier ones as yeah. we find out things. So uh, thank you all uh, very much for listening. Uh, we hope uh, you stay with us. And we hope you give this really kind of interesting film a look. Uh, and, and hopefully uh, with um, a different kind of eye. So, you know, I usually ask people to wait to see the film before they listen to the podcast. But actually, I think this is an instance where maybe the podcast might open up ways of seeing a film that might seem initially a bit uh, too foreign or too odd or strange, too unlike what you're perhaps used to mm. seeing. So um, thank you all very much for listening, and thank you, thank Richard. You. And we will return for the land. Yeah, great. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye.